let's make this confession. Confession is very important. And uh, you can go ahead and start that. That's fine. That, you can go ahead and start that. That's, that's quite all right. But, you know, Christianity used to be called the Great Confession. And, you know, nothing will really change in your life un until you start confessing the things of God. I mean, you, if you don't say anything, it's going to get worse. So, you know, as Christians, we should be confessing the Word of God over our lives on a daily basis. Amen? All right, so say this after me. Father, today, I just thank you for sending Jesus to redeem my life from destruction. Thank you for being my Heavenly Father. I do not seek you today because someone told me to. I seek you today because I desire to know you and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You said that you satisfy the longing soul and that you will fill the hungry with goodness. So today, I do not try to fix all of my shortcomings. I just hunger to receive all you have for me. Today I commit to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to be thankful for your word, regardless of how things may look. Thank you for loving me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. That made me feel better. I feel better. Hallelujah. See, that's what should happen. When you confess the word over yourself, you, you should feel better. It, 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 it strengthens you. It encourages you. And it, 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 it breaks the shackles that the enemy's trying to put back on you. Because you know what will happen? If, if you don't recognize, once you get free, Satan comes back in a season and he tries putting chains back on you. And see, if you don't shake him off, and how do you shake him? You shake him off by your confession. All right? By your words. By your actions. All right? The next thing you know, you'll be in bondage again. And you'll, you'll be, it'll be a worse case then than it was before because he's going to use a stronger chain. He's not going to use the same old one because that one didn't work. So he's going to take it up a level. All right? Well, you know, today <clears throat> I want to talk to you uh, this is, uh, you know, Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus, you know, comes into Jerusalem and uh, is, is praised and worshipped, right? And then uh, later this week, he's going to be crucified by the same people. One day they're, they're praising and worshipping, the next day they're crucifying him. But, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, <laughs> there's a kind of a correlation of things going on in the world today. Jesus was arrested, and he was crucified for something he didn't do. All right? Well, see, there was a, there, there's a former president that's been arrested, and they're trying to crucify him for something that he didn't do. But I got news for you. Jesus already paid the price for that. That price has already been paid. Hallelujah. But see, history keeps repeating itself, 
if you don't start to see things, how history is repeating itself in different ways, you're going to miss out on something. You're going to get yourself in trouble. But what I want to talk to you today about is uh, we're going to look at the book of Revelation. So the title of today's message is The Revelation. Now, we're not going to go through the whole book. Um, we're, we're not going to get very far into this message because it's probably going to be continued next Sunday. But I want to look here at the book of Revelation because there's a lot of rich things that we can pull out. A lot of people, when they, when they look at the, the, the book of Revelation, they steer clear of it. But you know what? The book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that says that there's a special blessing that's put on you when you study it and read it. All right? A lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people think of when they read the book of, of the Revelation, it's, it's, a prophet, it's a prophetic book. Well, there's prophecy in it, but that's not the main, the main thing about the book of Revelation. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the revelation was and is. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's, let's start here in the beginning in chapter 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. All right, so John... An angel shows up to, to, to John and gives this revelation. It says in verse 2, Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw? Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Now notice what he's talking about. He says, Blessed are they that hear the words of this prophecy. Well, you know, everybody's here right now. You're all hearing the words of this prophecy. And that's not what it's talking because you are hearing it. It's talking at a different level of hearing. It's talking about you hearing and you getting a revelation on this word. Not just it's coming into your ear canal and you're... you're you're acknowledging that, yeah, there's sound coming in there, and I hear, and I can understand, but, but see, are you, process, are you taking it and processing it? And that's what the blessing is. You take it, you process it, you start to see some things that you didn't see before. You learn by it, and you understand it's not there to scare you, it's there to help you, to encourage you. Verse 4, it says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia... Grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And those are the seven, the, 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 the gifts of God. It speaks of the, of, the, of, the, of the gifts of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit to us, okay? It says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us up from our sins in his own blood, and as I said this last week, and has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So see, first of all, you're, the one thing you have to understand here is you have already been made, if you're a Christian, you have already been made a king and a priest. What does a king do? 
He rules the land. He has control over the territory. And what does a priest do? A priest's job is to get the message from the Father and give it to the people. That's what a priest really is supposed to do, is hear from heaven and give the message to the people. That's why the assembling together is so important. There are things that God will share with you in your prayer time. But there are some things and, and, and a lot of holy things that will only happen when we get into a, into a church service, a time where the Spirit of God is moving in that service because He comes and He walks right here. He's walking these aisles right now. Just because you don't see Him does not mean He's not here. He is here. He's in every church in the world today that believes in him and is preaching his word. He's moving there. He's even in the churches that aren't preaching his word because you're going to find that out here. Jesus talks about it here in Revelation. But see, we don't want to limit God. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to teach us how we can receive everything that he has for us in each service. God has a divine plan and a divine order for each service. That's why when God has, a, has certain services, he's got a plan there. He's, there's something he's trying to get to you so that it can bring you up to the next level. It can open your eyes to see something that you've never seen before so you can make an adjustment. It's kind of like if you've ever heard or, or listened to somebody that talks about flying an airplane. Well, you know, when you fly an airplane, you don't just get off the ground and then find the nearest interstate and follow that interstate to your next destination. No, no, it's a whole different set of rules. You know, you're flying from point A to point B, and it's a direct flight. So what's it going to take? It's going to take some change of direction. It's going to take some course correction because there's other people up there flying. So the, the control tower is going to have you go to one, one altitude and hold it for a while. Why? Because there's probably a plane at another altitude. If you go up, you could run into each other. All right, so you're going to have to make course corrections. All right, our walk with God is kind of the same thing. You're going to have to make course corrections in order to get you to the next place. And if you don't receive that course correction from heaven, it, you, know, you, might, you might take off today, and you might think that you're going to New York City, but you, you wound up in Dallas, Texas. That's not your destination. If your destination is New York City, that's where you're to be. And see, things like that will operate in the spirit. If God's got a plan for you and, he, and he's got to get you to this next place, all right, he's got to direct you through his spirit on how to get there. And he does that because he gives you revelation that you are now a king and you are now a priest. So you minister to him. You hear from him. And that gives you personally a direction in your life. All right? But you also have authority. And that, you know, notice it didn't say here it's only to the pastors. No, 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 he didn't say it. It says, it says and he has made us kings and priests unto God and the Father. Verse 7 here, he says, Behold, he comes with, with clouds, and every eye shall see him. 
You know, 100 years ago, people could imagine, how is everybody going to see him when he comes? Because 100 years ago, they were preaching, Jesus is getting ready to come. He's coming very soon. He's coming. Get ready, get ready, get ready. But when they come to this scripture here, they just they couldn't fathom. How will every eye see him? Because this is a big world. Well, now, here we are today, we can see. You've got, you've got devices on you that you carry that you can open up and you can go live on the other side of the world and see what's going on right now. That wasn't possible 100 years ago. It wasn't possible 50 years ago. It really wasn't possible 25 or 30 years ago on a, on a very limited basis back then. But now just about everybody has devices, computers, smart TVs that are a lot smarter than what you, what you even think, know they are. They can do more things than you, you, you realize. Yeah. All these devices are, are, are a blessing, but they're also a curse. Because there's other people that know how to operate those things, and they're watching you. All right? Through all these things. So when you have to understand this revelation that John's being given is a revelation about today and Jesus in the, in the earth. So it says here, let's go on here. It says, uh, uh, And they which, uh, behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I, you know, if you haven't paid attention to what's going on in the earth today, they're trying to do everything they can to not talk about Jesus. They'll let you talk about God. Why? Because the God, there's many gods in this world. There, there's, there's different kinds of organizations that you can talk about. They'll say, we believe in God, and you, and, and, and you can believe in whatever God you want to, but we all worship the same one. No, we don't. No, we don't. We don't worship the same God. All right, see, and that, that's, that's the mistake a lot of believers make. I can't stand with another a human being and have them lift their hands to heaven, and I lift my hands to heaven, and I'm believing in Jesus Christ, but they're believing in Buddha. Why can't I do that? I'm a terrible witness to them. I can't stand there and let them think that way. I've got to tell them the truth. You're worshiping, you're worshiping somebody that's dead. I can't help you. There's no life there at all. And so what happens is people come together, they lift their hands, and, and you know, they're told, well, we're, we're all worshiping the same. No, we're not. We're not. Let's not even go there. Now, I worship Jesus Christ, and the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but we're not all worshiping the same God. And that's what he said, he's talking about here. He says, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. They'll, they'll cry, and they'll complain because of Jesus. They don't want you worshiping Jesus. They don't want you saying the name of Jesus. They don't want to hear it at work. They don't want to hear it at school. They don't want to hear it in everything that you do. So you're going to have to stand up and say, 
Use the name of Jesus because it's power. It, it, it's authority. It's an authority above all other authorities because they know that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The demons know it. And they don't want to hear that name because it reminds them they are defeated. And that's what he's trying to get across to us. That they are going to complain and they're going to whine and cry about Jesus. They're going to exalt all kinds of sin. And then they're going to wonder why they have problems in their lives. Then they're going to whine and cry because their businesses are you're worshiping other gods. And they'll deny that they're even worshiping other gods. Yeah, you, are, you, you can't promote other agendas. But see, we as Christians, we've got to stand up for the word of God and glorify the Lord. Not take this stuff sitting down. You've got to walk in your authority because the devil's trying to take it from you. He knows you're a king and he knows you're a priest. Whether you know it or not, he knows you are. He don't want you finding out what authority you have. And that you can actually hear from heaven and heaven will tell you what he's up to. Who was that king in the Old Testament? That, there was a king in the Old Testament. And every time he sent his army out, they got defeated. And he says to one of, the, one of his men, there's a spy among us. There's a spy among us. Who's spy? I want to find out. Who is this spy? And finally one of his men says, it's not anybody here. It's the prophet of God, Elijah. He's seeing what we're doing. His God is showing him what we're doing. And the king says, get Elijah. We need to take him out. Because he's messing up all of our plans. It's the same thing's happening today. The kings of darkness know when you're walking with God, God's telling you what's going on. He's speaking to you whether you're understanding it or not, whether you're taking part of that fellowship or not, he's still speaking to you. And those of you, of us, that are walking with the Lord, we're listening to him, we're tuning our ear to him, we're turning away from the things of the world, we're going to hear loud and clear. But see, if you've got one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, it's going to be distorted, and you're not going to hear right. And that's going to get you in trouble. But those of us that we're walking with the Lord will hear clearly what the plans of the enemy are. And we'll foil them every time just like Elijah did. Elijah simply had the Spirit of God come upon him. You and I, we have the Spirit of God living in us. And when the Father says anything at all, the Spirit of God has to reveal it to you. Because that's his job is to lead us and guide us into all truth. That's why the Father is the only one that knows the day or the hour when Jesus Christ comes back. Because if he just looks to his right hand and says, Jesus, go get your church, in a second we'll know he's coming. But it'll be, it'll be so quick you won't, you won't have time to react. But you'll know. If you're walking with the Lord, you'll know it. 
I mean, you, you, when, that, when that moment happens, there's going to be a knowing, and by the time you can even, I believe, you, you even take a step to the left or to the right, he'll be here. We'll be out of here. But everybody will give this witness. I knew it. Right before it happened, I knew it. Praise God. That's the authority that you have. That's what they were, they were afraid of. Now let's go on here. In verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Now, you've got to get a picture of this. He, <clears throat> he's in the Spirit, all right? He's praying in the Spirit, all right, on this day. He hears this great voice like a, a, a trumpet behind him saying, I am Alpha and Omega, first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Now, let's talk a little bit about John. The Apostle John, let's back up into the Gospels. If you remember John, he speaks of himself. He says, I am the disciple that Jesus loves. And I've heard pastors in the past um, say this, that John had an issue with pride because he saw himself as the apostle, the disciple that Jesus loved. And that's not true. I haven't heard that lately, but then again, I don't run in those kind of circles that think that way. Uh, there may be pastors out there still teaching that, but see, that's not true. John did not have an issue of pride and, 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 and thinking about himself. He had a revelation. He had a revelation that Jesus loved him. And if you'd have asked him, he would have told you, he loves you too. He doesn't love me more than he loves you. But all John was reaffirming is, I have a revelation that I am the disciple that Jesus loves. You can have that revelation too. So see, he went around saying that because he was getting things from heaven. He was hearing from the Father. And they didn't like that. And the king at that time, the ruler of that time, the Roman emperor, hated John downright hated him because he wanted John to bow down and worship him, and John refused. So one day this, this emperor decides, he said, well, here's what we're going to do. If John will not bow down and worship me, we're going to torture him. And if we need to, we'll take his life. So they threaten John with his very life. And they say to John, okay, John, unless you bow down and you worship the emperor, we're going to take you and we're going to dip you 
into this, this vat of hot oil and it will burn your skin right off your body. And that's what they, they would do. They, they probably, what happened that day, boiling oil. And after a few minutes, they had what's called like a fish hook, a giant hook that would go down into that hot burning oil and scrape the bottom of that, of that container, big metal, you know, big iron container, and haul up their, their bones. And all that would come out would just be the bones of that person. And then they throw them on the ground, and they, of course, they would scatter and lay there. Kind of, kind of an intimidating scene if, if you're John and you're sitting there watching this happen. See, but that's how the Romans did that. They were, they were experts at torturing people. They didn't do things lightly. They studied the art of torture. They made sure you felt every possible pain you could feel so that in those moments of dying, you understood they were the ones that did this to you. And they enjoyed watching people scream and yell to the very last moment. They, they loved, they entered, their entertainment was, let's kill them, but make them stay alive for as long as they can and suffer and scream and shout. So they took John the Baptist and they went to dip him in the oil and they dropped him in. And after a few minutes, the emperor said, get those bones out of there. And they went back in and dropped the, the fish hook in and they went to pull him out and he's not harmed. His skin's still on, he's still alive. And he comes out of there, how you guys doing? And the emperor realizes something supernatural is going on here. I'm dealing with something that I don't know and is more powerful than me. But see, he still hates John. And he said, take that man and put him on the Isle of Patmos. Get him out of my sight. Because he knew he couldn't kill him. I want him out of my sight. So John is put in exile into Patmos. And that's where we see that once he gets into exile in Patmos, where that's where all the, the, the worst kind of criminals, they, they would send him. John's on this aisle, all right? The only, time he the only thing he has time for, which not that it was a problem with John, is to spend time with the Lord. His sole focus of this whole time is his relationship with the Father in heaven. And God starts speaking to him. And that's when Jesus shows up. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write it in the book and send it to the seven churches. I want you to send these letters to the seven churches of what I'm about to speak to you, John, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and Laodicea. He says, and I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. 
and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now, we're going to stop right there. The seven golden, the seven candlesticks, the seven lights were what? The seven churches. But notice what John saw. He saw Jesus walking in the midst of those seven churches. He was walking around the seven churches, seeing what was going on. See, I don't know about you, but there's times I think, well, you know, the Father's in heaven, and we know in the spirit realm there's no, there's no distance. There's no time. But the Bible is specific to say that Jesus is walking in the midst of the church. He's walking in it. He's seeing what is going on. So every time we come together, Jesus is here. He's walking in the house of God. He's seeing who's here. So that way, see, nobody can say, Jesus, well, I guess you probably heard. No, I didn't hear. I saw. I was there. That's what he will say to us one day. I was there. I didn't hear. I saw it. I was there that day. I stood right at the door. I watched how you come into the church. I watched how you were preparing yourself before you even got to church. That's what he was saying. That's what he was saying to John. He was giving him this revelation that he's walking in the seven churches. The seven candlesticks are what? Lights. The church is the light. We are the light of the world. That that is to shine in what? To shine in darkness. Because the world is what? It's dark. It can't see its hand in front of its face. But when you there's something about light, when light comes into the room, the darkness doesn't crawl over into the corner. It goes completely away. So he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as, as dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. I am the first, and I am the last. I am he that lives, and I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys. Now notice what he says here. I have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which you sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which are, which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, let's look at this word angels. Okay, the angels in the book of Revelation 
are the pastors over each of these churches. They're not angelic hosts. The reason why we're, they're not angelic hosts is because these, these angels are told to repent. Angels can't repent. Pastors can. Pastors, so this, this word here is describing the pastors over the churches. Because he just, remember, he just said you're kings and priests. All right? You hear from heaven, you tell the people what the Father's saying. Why? Because not everybody's listening to the Father. They can. And if they're listening to the Father, what the pastor is going to say is going to already be in agreements with them because they've already heard it. They, there's a knowing there. But those that are sitting in the church, when they hear the truth, and they're not, they're not doing it, it's, it's, it's designed to tell us, look, I need to make a change. I've got to make a course correction. Otherwise, I'll never get to New York. I'll wind up in California. God forbid. Today, I mean, you know, there's, uh, there's saints out there, but uh, you, know, you understand what I'm saying. You'll wind up in the wrong place. So you've got to make a correction. And that's what Jesus is speaking about here. He's saying to the seven, the seven pastors, all right, those are, the, those are the angels. And the seven churches, those are the candlesticks. Now, probably not going to, like I said, we're going <laughs> to at least continue this next Sunday. So I'm just going to go a little bit long, uh, longer. I'll stop here just a little bit simply because we're going to do communion. And we're going to do communion a little bit differently. All right? And um, so I'm, I'm not going to get in hardly any, into this as far as I thought it was. But we're just going to do things what the Lord wants to do. All right, chapter 2. We'll cover this first one here. All right, it says, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Here he is emphasizing that again. He is walking in their, in their midst. All right? He says, I know your works and your labor. Now, he says that I know your works. Why? Because he's walking in the middle of you. He's seeing everything you're doing. See, you might, you might sit there and think, well, I know what I'm doing and I know it's not right. And, you know, see, you're justified by, you know what? He's at the right hand of the Father. He's probably not... He probably didn't see what I did. 50-50 chance. No, 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 no. You, you, you listen to what? It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember, this book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he says, I know your works, and I know your labor, and your patience, how you cannot bear them which are evil, and you have tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and you found them liars. Now, see, there's a lot of revelation right there. Not everybody that calls himself an apostle is an apostle. You know, there's lots of churches out there, congregations, that they're real big on, on apostles, and everybody's an apostle. 
and you find out that they don't even qualify as apostles. But yet they're called apostles, and, and people, you know, they, they think of them as apostles. Well, you already, there's deception that opens the door for deception. There are apostles today. Not as many as what people think. Not on every street corner, like it's being preached. Anyway, he says that you, you tested them, and you found out they were liars. That's what he said. He didn't say they stretched the truth, does he? Jesus just gets right to the point. They're liars. You found that out. He says, and you have borne and you have patience. And for my, my name's sake, you have labored and you have not fainted. Nevertheless, I've somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Now notice this warning is, Jesus always he's, he's encouraging the church. He's telling them these are the things that you're doing right, and I, I, I command you because I commend you because of that these things that you are doing right. Nevertheless, I have something against you. What's he doing? He's making a course correction for the church. All right, and this comes through the pastor because see the angel of the church uh, uh, at, at Ephesus here has to. Take this word from heaven, has to digest it, and now he has to present it to the people and say, this is what the Lord is saying. Okay, so that they understand it. So he says, nevertheless, I have someone against you because you have lost, you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen and repent, and you do the first works or else I will continue to come unto you quickly, and I will remove your candlestick out of his place, except you repent. So what had happened here at Ephesus, as, as they had started to, to, to test people coming in, apostles and that, and they found them they were liars, they kind of got up into the works atmosphere of things, and they forgot about their relationship with Jesus. They left their first love. They were slacking on that relationship. And Jesus was there because he says, I know, I know your works. I'm there when you're doing things. I see what you're doing. I'm not just speaking of secondhand knowledge. I'm speaking because I've seen, I personally have seen each and every one of them do these things. He said, but I've, I've got something you need to change. You've lost your first, you've left your first love. He says in verse 6, But this thou hast, that you did hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And I want to stop right there. Jesus doesn't say he hates the Nicolaitans. He hates their deeds. He will try to convince people that God hates them. Sound familiar? See, we're seeing how this plays out because we're seeing this play out today. Satan is trying to convince people that God hates them. And God does not hate people. He hates their deeds. And, it, you know, one deed is just as bad as the other. There's not like there's one deed that, you know, well, God would rather have you do this bad deed. No, it's sin, sin. And we always have to remember this. That you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Grace being the power of God 
that saved you, but you also have a part to believe in Jesus Christ and receive his salvation. And you've got to turn from your ways. All right? What sends people to hell is not their sin, because we've all sinned. Everybody sinned. It's, it's not your sin that sends you to hell. But you listen to religious people, and they'll, they'll act like, well, if you went out here and you shot and killed ten people, you're going to hell. You're not going to hell. Uh, you better think again. You're getting hung up in works. And all you've done is, you know, you hear a person over here, all they've done, they've just been a liar all their life. To God, they're both equal. They're both going to hell. What saves them when they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in return? That's what saves them. So before we get hung up on people's sin and get sucked into that demonic belief that Satan's trying to get people that, to believe that God hates people, God doesn't hate people, he hates sin. And for a person to say, to accuse Christians that God hates this certain group of people or that certain group of people, that should tell you right away, you have, sir or ma'am, you have no idea what in the world you're talking about. You're speaking, you're being a puppet of the devil because God does not hate people. He doesn't hate people. He hates their sin. And that's what Jesus was saying. He said, he said, but this thou hast, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You know, I don't hate the Nicolaitans. I hate their deeds. We'll get into that later on next week. It says, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I want to stop right there because that's where we're going to complete today. But I want to say this part on, on this part right here. He said, he that overcomes, to him that overcomes, he's speaking to the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus, those in that church that overcome, that overcome what? Return to their first love. They return to their first love. They go back to that relationship. Remember, I've said, I've said in the past many, many times, the most important relationship you have on this planet is the one between you and the Father. Your spouse is not as important as your relationship with the Father. Because if you have the heavenly relationship right, the other relationships will fall on the line. But if you don't have your heavenly relationships right, or right you are going to have problems in every area of your life. Not just one. It's going gonna, it's gonna to affect everything. All right? And that's what he was saying. To him that overcomes. All right? To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Did you get something today? Hallelujah. Now, we're going we're gonna to partake in the Lord's Supper.